How do you feel being in a biracial body, having to make choices for yourself and knowing like the history of your ancestors on both sides? Do you, does that bring you any sense of conflict? Do you feel like you have to make a choice? Do you consider yourself black? Do you embrace your white side? Yes, I would consider myself a black biracial woman. And that's because my, so my mother is actually half white. I am a quarter white, technically, okay. even okay. though I look like I am half white. Most people think that I am either mixed Puerto Rican, Dominican, especially when I came to New York. There was lots of confusion as to who I was, but I would consider myself black, culturally black. My family is black. My mother is the only one who is half white. And I would say that when I was younger, I think that I had more confusion than I do now, kind of similar to how you were saying, Juice. And I would say that when I was younger, I felt that perhaps maybe we put ourselves in too rigid of a framework that defined blackness, that told us how we could act and what to like. But now that I'm older, I find that this logic is shallow because I believe defining blackness for ourselves is, again, paramount to our survival. You know I can't help What's good, y'all? I am Donovan, and welcome to another episode of Stranger Fruit. We are tackling biracial identity, and this two-parter is coming in hot from our home studio at the Gentleman's Factory in Brooklyn. If you don't already know, Stranger Fruit is a -a one-of-a-kind video podcast experience, bringing you unfiltered, thought-provoking conversations from some of the most brilliant young voices from the black and brown diaspora. We discuss and debate an array of fascinating topics, from politics and race to pop culture media, and the music that moves us. We may not always agree, but we are firm believers that conflict and compassion are a great recipe for empathy. If you find yourself wanting to put a face to these names and voices, you can find us on YouTube in all our Technicolor glory. Special shout out to Juice, Dr. Donna, Nikki, Shayvon, Isam, Tiffany, Alex, Flora, and my co-host Ileana for joining me for this conversation on the biracial experience in the black community. We call it biracial versus black. Is there a difference? Hmm. Let's see. I am Donovan. And I'm Constanza Ileana. And welcome to Stranger Fruit. Today we're asking the question, what does it really mean to be biracial? Now I'm going to be honest with y'all. And what's up, everybody? Hi. Um, Originally, this was called Biracial versus Black. There was this cringy, cringy interview that really made me decide to do this conversation. Although I've always had the question, what does it actually mean to be biracial? I remember watching The Cosby Show. I talk about this often. I remember seeing Denise and Sandra, and I just remember being really confused. (laughs) Like, why the fuck are they here? Like, whose (laughs) child are they? Who do they belong to? Literally, seriously, I had that question because it was confusing about why they appeared the way that they appeared. But then I also noticed other things. I also noticed like when we went on to a different world that it was centered around Denise, that she was the one that everybody wanted. So I began to see that all over television, there was this experience of people who did not quite look like me or the black people that I knew, but who are often called black. So now fast forward all of these years and I've learned a lot more obviously, but the question still remains, what does it actually mean to be biracial? So there was this interview, I don't know if you actually watched it, with Monaleo and with Megan. It's a video podcast that was circulating around and it was around colorism, right? 
oftentimes because the conversations get conflated around biraciality and light skinnedness mm -hmm. they all of these things happen at the same time so essentially the conversation went this way we're going to insert it but essentially the interviewer says do you think colorism is real right which is already very violent and very very strange my first question was why would somebody who is in the black community ask another black person if colorism is real mm -hmm. and they proceeded to have the conversation and they followed up <laughs> where, where essentially the term, Dr. Donna, reverse colorism came into play. So this annoyed the, the shit out of me. Colorism is very real. It's yeah. a very real thing. Not to take away from anybody who is a light-skinned rapper, but it's definitely easier for a woman with a lighter complexion to blow up quicker than a dark-skinned woman, for sure. But like, why do you feel like that? Because like, I be getting into a people, right? I used to get made up fun of at school because I wasn't black enough. Bitches used to try to cut my hair. Like, people be thinking that, like, light-skinned girls don't go through colorism. It's not colorism. If you're light-skinned, it's not colorism. So what is it like, called? If people's picking with you, then that's like... But it's not colorism. Like, colorism what is, is they call discrimination white? against darker skin. You're basically talking about reverse Well, reverse colorism, colorism then. Because they used to be like, you ain't even black for real. You're white. Go over there with the white girls. And I'm just like, bitch. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I am black, actually. I wouldn't say it's reverse colorism. Like, it's I don't, like I don't think that that's a thing. We also get, oh, you're pretty to be a black. Like, I've had white people mm -hmm. and others. Well, that's racism. Yeah, that's, that's racism. racism. Right. That same weekend, another video came to my attention. I think that this one was a little bit more problematic. It was on a show called Black Girl Stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. On the show called Black Girl Stuff, there was only one sort of obviously black woman who I, who, you know, obviously she had darker skin. She had very, very short hair. She, had, she got a Caesar. She said that she had lots of different kinds of hairstyles, but now she has a Caesar. It was blonde. I feel like as a dark-skinned black woman, especially here, I had to be a little more conscious of how I show up. Even though I've had, you know, pretty much a buzz cut for like two years, you know what I mean? I've consistently went back and, and, and decided to wear a wig or decided to wear weaves, taking it outside of this, other corporate jobs where I did the same thing. And because of that, I did that in interviews and I did that when I first got the job. And I realized when I was speaking to one of my lighter skin, you know, colleagues afterwards, and we're just talking about the interview process, I had to do 10 interviews mm. in order to get this wow. job. And this is me working in corporate America after having not only a, you know, a bachelor's degree, an Ivy League degree as well, in a master's in business. And then I still had 10 interviews while she said she had three. Not only that, I then realized when she told me her pay and my pay, there was a gap. And this is not just my experience, and this is not for a lack of negotiating, because I did. It's the experience of tons of darker-skinned black women. I've been in casting rooms where I did pass and benefit from being looking racially ambiguous, right? right? I will. I have gotten roles based on that. I can't deny that mm -hmm. privilege. But I also have been in rooms where, like you said, they, they tend to associate darker skin with a certain type of woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not fair. No. In a casting room one time, a casting director said to me, oh, you did great in your performance, but you can't play this church girl mm -hmm. because light skin gives us vixen vibes. And oh. we need more of a wholesome vibe. So they chose a darker skin complexion woman just because her complexion gave more wholesome and that's not fair i think the conversation about their experience is valid what was confusing about was why it was happening then mm -hmm. right so i'm going to open up the conversation with that same question what does it actually mean to be biracial can you be can you have a black parent for example and a white parent 
and be just called black. I want to start with you, Alex, on that question. We had some pretty good conversations. What do you think about that particular question? Can you be half black, half white, and just be, I'm black? Well, in my experience, sometimes I just don't get to choose. I don't have the privilege to choose whether or not everybody is seeing me in the room as black. I spent half my life in Morgantown, West Virginia. So as wild as it may seem, I was the blackest person in the room. So even if I wanted to say like I was white and I would beg that whiteness, people were choosing for me that I was black and that was all. It was kind of as if the one drop rule still applies. It didn't matter in a lot of places that I was in. That is crazy. What about now? Versus your experience in West Virginia, what about like here in New York? Versus New York, I went one time into even just, I had a dress stolen and I went to go file a police report and I thought it was interesting because the police officers didn't even ask, they just marked me as white. And so I came out and I was like, right, right. And I was like, what a privilege, especially now when we're talking about how the like prison industrial complex is like a big issue and barrier in overreach and dismantling white supremacy. We can't do it with that still there, but... That really showed me that if even like police officers are seeing me as white in New York, my experience in New York is much different than it was. So I really, when I'm in a room full of other black people or people of color, I have to look to see where does my privileged voice stand? Who are the other people in the room? Is it my turn to step in or step out? Mm -hmm. uh, depending on where I'm at, it changes in a blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. That's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is kind of crazy. So you're like, you're like, I'm here one time and one day and I can be here the other day. Do you ever go back to West Virginia? Yes, yes, yes. My spouse is also from Ohio. So I like <laughs> during the holidays, I see people are literally like double take looking at me. I get a lot of comments what about my you? hair. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what are you? And like so surprised or like, whoa, your hair is so interesting. Or people try to touch my hair mm. and tell me that it's like, why do you wear it curly like that? And so in an instant, but in New York, where I basically live, I have so much privilege. I'm a teacher. Sometimes my students don't even see that I'm black. I do have to sometimes tell people or people will come to me and speak in Spanish and I'm not able to communicate. <laughs> and so people are always always judging and making preferences. So yeah, it still happens to this day, go back and forth. And it was a very kind of, we were talking about dissociative experience. Mm -hmm. You never know how people are gonna see you. You're always, your amygdala is always on like fight, flight or freeze, trying to figure out, am I safe here? Or do I actually have more power here? It could change. That's yeah. Crazy. Wow. That brings That's, me to a good point because a, a lot of the conversation also is revolved around like racial ambiguity. And for people living in the United States, I think it's very, very prevalent in the United States and potentially parts of Europe because the US in particular, because of its colonial history, there are people of color and white people kind of coexisting at once. It's not like a culture that was always, you know, like in Puerto Rico, everyone was always from Puerto Rico, right? So the racial ambiguity piece is really interesting to me where, and in particular myself, I always get confused for being Arabic or Persian, anything other than Puerto Rican. <laughs> and so I can imagine being biracial that can also be a little bit of a piece of confusion where you feel like you might have to choose one or the other. I think you're saying that other people choose it for you, like choose your race for you. Does anybody else have the experience of wanting to choose a race for themselves or an identity for themselves, but still has to combat that racial ambiguity piece? That's a great question. I have that all the time, but I'm not even biracial. <laughs> black. Well, I consider myself black. Yeah. And the problem is when I show up and then people see my hair and my features, they're like, oh, you're Dominican. Oh, you're this. Oh, you must be half Dominican. You must be half. I don't know. Why can't I just be black? 
Yeah. Why can't I just be African-American and not just be my experience? Mm. But yeah. it's almost as if they want you to have something else if you're not. Right. And I always, ever since I was little, I always ask, like, why can't I just be African-American? Like, I'm sure there's, I'm sure I have a whole bunch of other stuff floating around in here, but I'm just not interested in figuring out what it is. Mm. And that should be okay. I should be able to rock with that without having to be like, am I Samoan? Am I Puerto Rican? <laughs> am I Dominican? Like, I don't have to guess that stuff about myself. Yeah. I know who I am and I just want that. But people want you to have this mm. big story. Like, yes, my mother was Indian and my dad was Irish and... I don't have that story. That's so funny that you say yeah. that, Juice, because I feel like growing up, every black person wanted to have Indian in their family. Mm-hmm. Like that shame and that that type of like anti-blackness, that inherent anti-blackness that we mm-hmm. possess caused a lot of people to buy into that fact that like, oh, you have something. Like they're not thinking it's bad. When the, what you got in you? It's like, oh yeah, baby, I got Indian in me or I got whatever in me and because it's, 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 yeah. it's currency. <laughs> it's currency yes. for a lot of yeah. people, especially yeah. in the hood. And I think that is... An interesting part of the conversation as well, because for you, was it that you resented people for asking that? Like, was it a bad thing that people asked you about that? Well, I think when I was younger, when I was a kid, it confused me. Because at first, I always see my mom always told me I was black. That's how we rolled. But everybody else around me would be like, oh, he got to be mixed with something. Look at his hair. Look at his face. Look at his skin and red undertones. He has to be mixed. Yes. And I started questioning myself, like, am I? Mom, where do I come from? <laughs> and she's like, you're black. Like, what are you going to ask me that? <laughs> and I'm like, everybody else is saying. So I think as I got mm. older, I started, it started becoming a negative for me because it was like, once you ask me and I tell you what I identify as or what I consider myself, why are you still pushing this? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times I would say, oh, no, I'm just black. No, you got to have something because look at this hair and look at this. And, th-. and I'm like, man, didn't I just tell y'all, you ain't, why, what's happening here? There's a disconnect. Like, why aren't you listening to me? Yeah. That's when I started getting, I guess, like it started becoming a negative for me because okay. I don't mind people because I know I have like a look. So I don't mind people asking. But once they tell you, let that be what they tell you it is. Stop trying to figure out other people's. Like DNA, like it's just it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, that. yeah right. I, I personally hate being asked. Like my friends know that it's a sensitive subject because I've been asked that question my entire life. What the hell are you? Mm. I'm like, what am I? I'm tired. What am I? <laughs> oh, shit. Like that's what I am. But I don't find white people asking me that. It's always my people like looking for a safe place to open the door and allow you in. It's mm. like, are you us? We can't tell. Mm. But now that you confirm. We'll crack the door a little bit. You're not Isan, all the way do, in. Isan, do you think that they, do you think white people assume? Black white people, ask white people, white people know assume? I'm not white. And I okay. think for them, okay. that's all that matters. It's like, oh, okay, you may not be, I don't know if you're black, you might be Palestinian, you might be this, you're not one of us, and I'm going to treat you as such. And so they don't really, it's not a question. Like They know, they look at me and they go, yeah, you're not one of us. Mm-hmm. Clearly. And I feel like my people look at me and know I'm one of you. But how are you one of us? Explain to me. I just want to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is it a sensitive topic to talk about your background in no. terms of like, so when, how do you identify in terms of like race and ethnicity? Well, when so. people ask me, I go, my mom's Puerto Rican, my father's black. That's what you want to know, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not asking me anything. Like you're not asking about my experience. You're asking me what my background is. So my mom's Puerto Rican, my father's black. I'm not, I don't do the half and half. I don't do, it's... In a conversation like this, it's open, right? So if I'm out with friends and someone goes, what are you? Hmm. I'm not entertaining that conversation, okay? right? Because now it's coming from a different space. And that's going to trigger me because anyone who has had an experience like that, 
they step into that conversation slightly triggered already, okay. right? You know, whether they've been bullied, made fun of, had conversations where people have denied them access to spaces, it comes to the table. And so you have to be sensitive. Like, this can be a very sensitive topic. Yeah. And not everybody handles it with the same kind of care yeah. that I think it needs to be handled with. Because, you know, we are all in the same room, right? We're in the same space. We are of the same people. But not everybody sees us like that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Before Shayvon comes in with her point, here is a fruit fact for you. One in five mixed-race Americans say they have felt pressure to identify as one race by family, friends, or society in general. Isn't that interesting? We'll get into this. 55% of U.S. adults with a multicultural background have been subjected to slurs or jokes because of their racial background. That's pretty fucked up. All right, let's get back into the conversation. Do you want to jump in? I do, actually, because I also feel that while we have to have compassion for ourselves in that mixed up place, I also think we need to have compassion for the folks who are asking us that because I feel in black people, other black people asking me what I am, it's to determine how dangerous I am potentially to them. And historically, light-skinned, mixed-race, biracial people, I feel have been traitors and traders. So historically speaking, figuring out if we are cool is paramount to our survival is how I think of that. So I don't, I understand that it, you can sometimes receive messages that make you feel like you were outside or other, but I choose to look at it from a perspective of caring for blackness as a whole and preserving it. Wow. Mm, that's, that's so I think. It reminds never me of something of that. that Muhammad Ali said. If I see a bunch of snakes coming my way, I close the door. I'm not trying to determine which one is safe for me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that oftentimes, and this is something that I've also said mostly to light-skinned people who are trying to come for me in my DMs, <laughs> that, <laughs> that I'm like, when people are asking what you are, it is a question of safety. Mm -hmm. Am I safe okay. with you? Is it okay for me to be myself with you? Or are you going to be just another agent of white supremacy who cloaks themselves in such a way that I would accept you and then you would pull the rug from under me. So like how some folk would talk about these white people who, who like, oh yeah, I'm down for the cause until it gets too hot and then they jump back out, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it ends up being the same question that dark skinned somebodies are having for light skin and mixed race somebody because we're like, well, we have no idea where you stand on half the stuff. And if I stand with you, I might get hurt. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking, what are you for my safety? And I'm sorry that my safety question bothers you, but I still have to ask it. Mm -hmm. Well, that ma makes me beg the Thank question you, that Anna. we can't necessarily put biracial folks in the same folks as white people who claim to be allies because biracial folks didn't choose to be that. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that there would be less examples of a biracial person turning on black people than a white person turning on black people. You would so, think so you, I, I, I would, that's why I'm saying I would think so. I'm not sure. But that's an interesting thought to me that like, in, I guess my question is, in what ways would a biracial person betray black people in, the, in using their privilege? Like, how would that look? That's a great question. Do you want to take a stab at that? Go ahead. I've already spoken, so go ahead. Okay, go ahead, Tiffany. Yeah. I was going to say, if you know any history about the Haitian Revolution of 1804, right? Haitians were able to accomplish that because they had to get rid of what they called the collaborators, right? And a lot of the collaborators, unfortunately, were light-skinned, lighter-skinned black people who were the children of 
the slave masters. And so a lot of those collaborators would kind of parade around as allies and get the inside information okay. and then feed it to the slave masters. And a lot of the revolutions that would have happened sooner didn't happen because the collaborators. So they actually were either killing or actually had to poison not only the collaborators, but also the slave masters. And that's how they were able to accomplish the Haitian revolution. So I think that you're absolutely right okay. in, in asking the question about safety. Like, me as a darker-skinned woman, even though I have a mixed-race child, I still have to ask questions and I have to get clarity about where you stand because I'm not sure if my safety is at stake or if you'll turn on me because historically they've had this light, what I call light privilege. You might not have white privilege, but you do have light privilege. And so you're able to get into certain spaces that people like me or people of my melanin type are not allowed into or are treated differently when we arrive there. So I do think it is a fair, I think there is some empathy that needs to happen on both sides. It, and it's not to, you know, take people who are lighter skinned and say, all of you are racist or all of you have a privilege, but we have to acknowledge that our safety is at stake. But I don't think Thank that's a burden that just, because I noticed like with the whole, like, are you my enemy or my friend thing, a lot of times light skinned people have to carry that burden. Yeah. Because they're the ones that initially you go to like, okay, now I can see that there's something else going on here. But if you're going to be, if we're going to do this whole like, we need to question everybody, see who's our enemy, see who's our friend. It needs to be across the board because I knew mm -hmm. a lot of people who were my complexion mm -hmm. and darker who had a white parent and a black parent. They just happened to come out darker and they did not really identify. They always tried to disconnect themselves from the black experience. So those are actually the worst kinds of enemies oh, yeah. because they're mm -hmm. wearing the same skin as you and walking around. You're not even questioning mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So I just think if we're going to do it, we need to do it across the board and not just pick out lighter skinned individuals and be like, we need to figure out if you're a friend or foe. At this point, all of you are my foes until I figure <laughs> out you're my friend. Which <laughs> <laughs> are my friends. That's an interesting <laughs> perspective, Juice, because I was yeah. going to say before, before, I know you wanted to jump in. Okay. I, I saw you like, <laughs> but it is an interesting thing to think about because at the end of the day for me like growing up in the 90s like I said before and some of us were talking about Mariah Carey before like you couldn't tell me Mariah Carey wasn't black like mm. that's that she is black I'll punch her in your face don't nobody care what she said that's Mariah Carey I love her and I think that I actually do believe that in general black people have a very positive disposition towards people who are biracial I don't think that it's overwhelmingly so in my experience I am not biracial but I do think the conversation now, what I'm hearing is that oftentimes you have to choose. And we touched on that before. You were describing, Alex, that your choice was taken kind of like away from you. A lot of people put you into whatever category that suits them. But I have a question about the choice. Mm -hmm. Because for you, Shavon, who like have described, like I am very well aware that people who are darker skinned have been subjected to certain things. So they have to ask, they have to be skeptical. In knowing that as a biracial person, the legacy of whiteness, right, and the legacy of blackness and how extremely like opposite they seem, yeah. how do you feel being in a biracial body, having to make choices for yourself and knowing like the history of your ancestors on both sides? Do you, does that bring you any sense of conflict? Do you feel like you have to make a choice? Do you consider yourself black? Do you embrace your white side? Yes, I would consider myself a black biracial woman. And that's because my, so my mother is actually half white. I am a quarter white, technically, okay. even okay. though I look like I am half white. Most people think that I am either mixed Puerto Rican, Dominican, especially when I came to New York. There was lots of confusion as to who I was, but I would consider myself black, culturally black. My family is black. My mother is the only one who is half white. 
And I would say that when I was younger, I think that I had more confusion than I do now, kind of similar to how you were saying, Juice. And I would say that when I was younger, I felt that perhaps maybe we put ourselves in too rigid of a framework that defined blackness, that told us how we could act and what to like. But now that I'm older, I find that this logic is shallow because I believe defining blackness for ourselves is, again, paramount to our survival because it protects us from specific biracial people, whether it's because they are light-skinned and can pass or because they have a specific proximity to whiteness that has allowed them to erase their blackness in some ways. It allow gatekeeping, a certain amount of gatekeeping allows us to prevent those types of biracial people from coming in and reaping the rewards from the black community without coming to its defense or claiming it even. Mm. And the last thing that I'll say, if you will endure me talking yes, about Meghan Markle <laughs> for a second, oh. is that Let's go. I think that it's obviously very complicated talking about her. I empathize deeply with her racist plight with the media, and that's exactly what it is. It is racism that she's experiencing. But I have a problem with someone who cannot call themselves black, mm. but is nursed and nurtured by a black woman, is given safe haven by a black man, mm-hmm. has her reputation publicly protected against the likes of Pierce Brosnan on, on national television by a black woman activist. Yeah. You have all of these, you have this whole entire black community coming after you, but you cannot call yourself black or honor your mother and her mother before her by calling yourself black. Mm-hmm. Even calling the community that welcomed you black after you realized you were black close to 40. Yeah. yeah. And now you have them retracting the racism claims against the royal family. And I feel like that's just a slap in the face of any black person who's helped them. And two, the last thing that I will say about that is she also serves as a representative of someone who could potentially bring harm to the black community by upholding white institutions and standards. Harry said something very disturbing to me on the, uh, I think it was the Oprah. It was the Oprah. It was the Oprah interview where he said the institution missed out on an incredible opportunity with my wife. Mm-hmm. So disturbing because, yeah, the opportunity there was to wield Megan's blackness as this double agent. Yeah, as this double agent in their racist promenade around Africa to Mm. connect with the Commonwealth. But really, what you're doing is padding Africa's legitimacy in Africa. In in, you're you're padding the UK's legitimacy in Africa, and you are also glorifying and softening racist transgressions, the current rape of resources Mm -hmm. that are happening now. So that's present harm to the black global community Mm -hmm. that your representation is having. And you have to care about that. If you're gonna accept help from us, you have to care about that. Yeah, and And tokenizing her. Yeah, Yeah. 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 you were gonna come with it. (laughs) Thank you for that. I think with Megan, both her, I think with Megan, like both her parents failed her in that regard. I think that they thought like she can pass, Mm-hmm. And she, they never imagined she would be on this type of scale where it would be questioned. And now she's paying the price of that. But her mother says in the documentary, like, oh, I didn't teach her. And it's kind It was of very like, strange to me. Yeah, yeah. it's very kind of strange. like it was very much the white mother type of yes, <laughs> yes. 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 situation, which was very, was very odd. Yeah, well, I'm not the biracial. I'm Dominican, the original biracials in the <laughs> Western <laughs> Hemisphere. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where Colombia is And so race is very present. I will say that I'm more comfortable in black spaces. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like 
there's this wall that comes up when I'm in a space where like I'm the only ethnic person and it's just mm -hmm. like all white people mm -hmm. that if I'm in a room full of like all black people, maybe I'll get a little shy, but I'm not going to get like, I don't feel this wall come mm -hmm. up that I feel. And so yeah. I guess they kind of choose for me. Right. <laughs> the mm. white people choose for and me. And you're, you're other. Yeah. And in our culture, in Caribbean culture, that's Spanish speaking, it would be mestizo. I literally mm -hmm. just on Instagram the other day got called mestizo and I'm, you know, I've never said anything about my race or my parents or whoever they are. So in different cultures, it's also very different because oh. in the States, there's this very, it, there's an idea around race and how it's structured and everyone kind of falls into that versus in Latin American countries where colonization was like the most prevalent. That's where it started. Um the the identity shifts a little bit. It's actually people who are light-skinned are very proud to be light-skinned because they are mestizo or what is considered to be mestizo. And that makes the black community feel erased mm -hmm. because then it's like, oh, well, we can definitely tell you're anti-black and then we want nothing to do with you or we want to embrace that more by marrying a light-skinned person. So the dynamics culturally and depending on the environment that you're mm -hmm. raised in, can also shift identity as well. Yeah. Does anybody here so have friends who are like culturally of a different country mm -hmm. who have a different perspective? I'm or? so glad you said that. Yeah. Racial people are called coolie in Jamaica. Donovan, you can attest to this. That's and true. it's a very nasty term. It's a derogatory term. <clears throat> and so I find to your point, it's almost like I see biraciality being more accepted in America than the islands where right. it is very divisive and it's very, oh, they think they're better. And then there's kind of a two-way hate that happens. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so to, I love that you brought that up because it is, I think, probably similar in Dominican culture, Puerto Rico, like there is yeah. a weird, I wonder though, even in a country like Puerto Rico or in the Dominican Republic, isn't there something within the country? Like I would imagine dark-skinned Dominicans, light-skinned Dominicans, are you more black? Are you more white? What's the nuance then within a culture where people are mixed up? That's what I wonder. Because in the States, it's like there's black people, white people, and biracial. But what happens when you're in a country where everyone's a little mixed up? Mm -hmm. How does that layer change? Mm, yeah. That's a really great yeah. question. Well, yeah, it's, it's, they have. That's what you really do. They have the most extensive names. Yeah, for right. what you are, yeah. like like a long, yeah. like there's a long, yeah. beautiful list mm -hmm. to to determine exactly where you are. So you can be mestizo, or you can be mulatto, or you can mm -hmm. be like they Anamica. they have named you. Mm -hmm. Where we have tried to oversimplify it, mm -hmm. I guess, in a sense, in the United States to be like, well, number one, because we have white people very present here. Right. So it's like, you're not white, so then you must be other. And then the determination is because white has been set as being the go-to, the top of the food chain, like everybody should want proximity to that. It means that simultaneously you don't want proximity to blackness, mm. which means that we're literally trying to jockey for position to get away mm. from being considered black, knowing that you will never be considered white. Mm -hmm. So the way that I see it in my black ass, dark skin, as, as someone who also studies colorism, texturism and sexuality, is that there's this beautiful dichotomy. You're watching it sort of play out and it's actually very similar mm. to what's going on over there yeah. in the sense that the one drop rule here means one drop black, you're black. Whereas the one drop rule in other places mean one drop other, you're other. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. get to now say you're not black 
because you are actually claiming that one drop of other that you have right. and you're claiming it hard because it comes with literal Privilege. actual Privilege. privileges. Yeah. So yes. like they talk about like in Brazil that you can literally tell who has money by their skin tone. Yeah. Yeah. You can literally look at them and say, ah, mm -hmm. you have money, oh, you're poor. Here in the States, we like to believe that you can't tell that here except that you, you can. You can. You can. Because we also have a color caste system. Yes. We just don't want to acknowledge the color caste system, especially because racism seems to be our primary modicum of saying fuck you to all kinds of people. So it ends up getting lost in the sauce that we are still operating in a color caste system because we already know that like on the first there was an episode where I talked a little bit about COVID and black asses and people didn't seem to understand. So I want to explain that one piece real quick. Mm -hmm. And that is that I said that black people, dark skinned black people were dying at an unprecedented rate from COVID and people did not connect it to colorism. And it's connected to colorism because, you know, you can't tell the oxygen levels in somebody as dark as us. It does not mm -hmm. accurately read, which means that hospitals were sending people home who could not breathe well because they're like, well, it says you're oxygenated. That's where colorism comes in. It's literally Inherent. down to the science, Gucci down to the socks. Mm -hmm. But then people want to say that all of us, oh, like, as long as you have a drop of black, everybody's black. And I'm just like, I don't know that I agree with that. I mm -hmm. think that you can identify personally, however you would like to, which includes Rachel Dolezal, she can she can, she can say she is whatever she oh wants God. to in here, in here, but, because you get to identify for yourself and who has the right to fight you on what you identify as for yourself? Nobody. But what, when it comes to social identification, that is something very different right. because while it may be chosen for you on occasion, it's, chosen it's also chosen for me 100% of the time. It's not on occasion, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of social identification, it's important to highlight here that for many people, whether dark skin or racially ambiguous, the social ramifications for one's appearance can greatly impact quality of life. Let's talk about racial imposter syndrome, which is a form of self-doubt frequently impacting multiracial people. It can cause them to feel as if they don't belong or fit in the communities they identify with. It can make someone feel as though their racial or ethnic identity is inauthentic and not feeling validated can impact how one behaves, looks, speaks, or presents themselves. No one deserves to feel that way. We close out part one getting into why biracial identity is often left out of the conversation. So let's pick back up with Tiffany telling us a little bit about one of her favorite movies. Has anybody ever seen the movie from 1959? It's one of my favorite movies called The Imitation of Life. Yes. I watched that. I remember as a young child, I'm probably gonna have my son watch it soon as well, but it was about a young girl whose mother was, you know, black, like dark skin like me. The mother was mother was black, the father was white, and but she could pass for white. And the whole premise of the movie is that she really struggled with her identity and trying to separate herself from blackness as far as possible. So much so she would deny her mom when her mom would try and drop off her lunchbox at school or when she got beat up in the alleyway once the guy that she was dating found out that her mother was black and she got beat to a pulp. And her mom apologized, said, I loved you too much. And her mom dies, right? And she, the end of the movie, she's coming in and she's falling all over the casket, but you denied your own heritage because you wanted to be accepted so bad badly 
by white people. Mm. And mm. the problem with that is even in the Latino, I speak Spanish, so I'm like a little bit closer to mm. the Latin culture, but there's the Blancamiento, which mm -hmm. was this whole movement yes. for in, in different parts of Latin America where they tried to lighten the race to make sure, you know, that's why a lot on of- On purpose. Yeah, on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> they would literally tell people, listen, go marry somebody lighter so that, or a darker skin person like me, go marry somebody lighter so you have lighter children. And then right. their generation would, and mm -hmm. they just kept continuing. In, did that which is interesting because the when I lived in Spain, right, Spaniards looked down at Latinos like y'all are mixed, y'all mm -hmm. mixed race. They mm -hmm. don't really accept you. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they're like, mm -mm, mm -hmm. you know. And so we don't want to claim them. They either. don't want to. Ah, but but the, a lot of the people who are closer in even the Latin community that are more lighter skin. Mm -hmm. They're claiming their Spaniard or their Portuguese heritage, Absolutely. but those people are denying you. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, tu sabes eso? Mm -hmm. Are you paying attention? Because yeah. no, you're claiming them and they're like literally disavowing you. Um, so that's this, the gotcha. That's the gotcha gotcha with yeah. them. It's it because everybody is fighting for privilege yeah. for people who ultimately will never relinquish that never privilege. Never have it. I do want to come back to you, Florida. I have a question because I know you had mentioned that some of your siblings are darker, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you have that same experience as some or, or anyone else. Did your parents have very specific conversations with y'all when you were younger about these differences and what they can mean in society and the larger conversation about race? Did they ever talk about it? Absolutely not. It was more negative commentary all the time, mm -hmm. literally, literally to the two darker siblings. Mm -hmm. Like detrimental trauma, Terrible stuff. Yeah. It rather than the other way around. Rather than teaching you society might treat you a little different. You're darker than your siblings, et cetera, et cetera. No, it was the other way around. And ironically, it came from the darker parent. Mm. From who they got their blackness Ooh. is where the like where the hurt came from. Yes, so, exactly, yikes. exactly. Yeah. What Tiffany was saying. My mom had the same experience. Ooh, my go. mom is like my complexion. Her brother is like very, very, really, really light. And so she always told me about, like, just telling her stories, complaining about life. She always <laughs> tells me about, like, how people used to treat her brother really, really, really well, really nice. And her, they treated like shit. Like, she would talk about sometimes, like, the Christmas gift she would get would be, like, oversized dresses where he would get, like, gold chains. And people would tell him how beautiful he is and he's meant to be something, this is that. And they would always speak down to her. And she was like, it was her whole life like that. Yeah. And luckily, she just always like kind of knew who she was. So it didn't like really affect her self-esteem. But she was like, for, if I had been a weaker person, hmm. it would have messed up my self-esteem because they treated him like he was this gold standard. Yeah. But we were literally the same. Like yes. we were from the same mother, from the same father. He just happened to be lighter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can it's I crazy. comment Thank on you, that? I think that... I, maybe it probably happens like in the American and other parts of the Caribbean, but I think with Dominicans specifically, I can think off the top of my head of three families where daughters specifically came out dark-skinned and are here in the U.S. White, where they're going to face racism, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not being taught anything, anything about their blackness, anything about in loving it, anything. And... I kid you not, I'm 100% convinced that that's, I see them all have mental illness, mm -hmm. deep depression. Oh my gosh. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, duh. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Because, yeah. yeah. I will never forget a long time we, I had a conversation on the grapevine with a woman, she's Nigerian. And I will never forget, she said as a result of the colorism that she faced in her life, it led to mental illness, where she was just in a constant state of paranoia. 
and it manifested itself as bipolar disorder, it manifested itself as schizophrenia as well. And I just remember sitting across from her and just being like, how, how horrible is it that you can have a child come from you and then shame that child for being like you? Okay. And that's how much of a mind fuck racism and colorism and white supremacy is. And also just to, to go back to this idea of how like black folks can participate in this, in places like Maryland, in the D.C. area, for example, where a lot of wealthy biracial black folks mm-hmm. went to, mm-hmm. right? We were talking about after the Great Migration. People are like, we have to get out of here. We need to get away from the South. And the idea was in these areas was to marry consistently and partner consistently with other very, very light Folks, this is a part of the legacy of even the Jack and Jills that black people love to talk about, is these very exceptional black people who look, sound, act, dress a certain kind of way. And yes, it exists in the Caribbean and other places as well, but one thing that we cannot run away from is that it's always going to be that lighter than thing that we're talking about here. So Juice, you may experience a certain privileges, and other places you may experience more because you're a little bit lighter. The same thing for you, Sam. So the same question for you, also being having a black parent and having a Puerto Rican parent identifying mm-hmm. as Puerto Rican. I don't know what that means racially for your for your parent who identifies as Puerto Rican, but did you ever have those conversations with your parents as well about what it means to be black as well and what the impacts of that would be? Well, I wasn't raised by my father who's okay. black. So I was being raised by a Puerto Rican woman in a black community. So a lot of my education was coming from school, from teachers, from people who took me under their wing. like my friend's father's, my friend's mother, like was where I found like a balance because at home it wasn't balanced. Mm-hmm. It was Puerto Rican. My my siblings on my mom's side are all Puerto Rican. My siblings on my father's side are all black. I was the only mixed one. So there weren't conversations about what my experience was like. There wasn't a conversation about what my Latinness was supposed to be like or my blackness was supposed to be like. It was, you'll find your own way. There wasn't really conversations about mm-hmm. it. I just knew that I was the darkest of the Puerto Ricans and the lightest of the black That people. is cool. <laughs> right? It's so great. That's, That's a part why. of why we wanted to have the conversation. Yeah. Because I feel like this is just Donovan. I am not projecting <laughs> on this on anyone else. But I do think that there is so much room to have conversations, to learn, mm-hmm. to dismantle these mm-hmm. binaries where we can hear from people about their experiences of being multiracial or biracial or multicultural. Why do you have to do this one thing or go this way? Mm-hmm. I think the repercussion of not being brave enough to have those conversations or not being brave enough to decide to use people with very specific stories about duality or more is that there are lessons to come out of that. What does it mean to have whiteness be a part of you and you not be able to say it out loud because of the shame that comes with that? What does that do when when there are people who are dark-skinned black people who know that you do get more privileges, right? Mm -hmm. Because what happens often, to go back to the conversation of black girl stuff, is that what happens is that when the conversation about biraciality or light-skinnedness is entered into a conversation, it gets entered when we're talking about colorism against dark-skinned people. Right. Wrong place, wrong time. But if you look at it outside of that, no one else is having conversation about what it means to be biracial. And that's fucked up. Yes, it is. I think it's profoundly fucked up. T and Tamara was black. Ain't nobody, they had two black parents on the TV, mm-hmm. but everybody loved it when they got that blowout on them episodes. Okay? <laughs> they were like, they look good. I want my hair to look like that. Yeah. I mean, let's keep it real. And like, you get treated differently. And you get treated differently. So it's always there, but nobody wants to talk about it. And I find that's what the most disturbing thing is. As Assam said, this is a sensitive topic. 
and I'm so grateful to him, Nikki, Dr. Donna, Juice, Shayvon, Tiffany, Flora, Alex, and Ileana for being willing to go there. This was easily one of my favorite conversations, and guess what? It's not over. We continue next week with part two of this conversation, so make sure you are subscribed and following us on social media at The Stranger Fruit. Please rate our podcast five stars, and remember, remember, remember to be kind to each other. Okay, until next time. Peace. I think it is very easy for black people to say our voice isn't being heard. Biracial people's voices aren't being heard. And I'm going to tell you why this is so close to me. I have a little sister who I don't consider half because I don't like that. Her mother is white. My father is Jamaican. Hearing her experience broke my heart of how black people treat her. Is your hair weave? You think you're better than me. Oh, you think you're bad. This and that. It's heartbreaking. She has an experience as a biracial woman and no one allows her to talk. No one allows people like you to talk or you to talk and say, I get discriminated against. People think I'm better than them when I just walked in the room being born how I was born. I didn't do anything. So as black people, we tend to have a loud voice. Yes, there's colorism and dark skinned people don't benefit from that. But the people that benefit didn't ask to be there either.